a privilege to be here, particularly on this day. Uh, my name, again, is Daniel Henderson. Trent and I uh, met each other in that three-day prayer experience. We've been together a few times since then. It's been such a joy to see God's blessing on his life, his family, this ministry, your team, and the people of this wonderful church. And it's no small thing to give up your pulpit on a big day like this, so I count it as a rare privilege and uh, our ministry is called Strategic Renewal. I pastored for almost 30 years, and about, uh, I don't know, 13 years ago, I transitioned to become a full-time spiritual pyromaniac and uh, uh, try to really encourage pastors and their leadership in prayer and churches to become houses of prayer. And I'm overwhelmed with the feeling that right now, particularly at this time in our country, there is no more urgent need than what we've heard already, to abide in Christ, to seek his face, to live as people who are humble and supernaturally empowered to, to truly uh, make a difference for the sake of the gospel by his grace. Uh, we will have some books and such tonight, tomorrow night, etc. But today, for those of you who are broke or cheap, we have a freebie. How about that? Uh, uh, it's just on the screen. It's a little ebook. Might be encouraging to you. Our staff put this together in recent weeks. Uh, you can write that down, take a picture. We'll probably show it later. But transforming truths for troubled times. Not that there's any trouble going on, but in case that happens, this will help you be ready. Uh, and we hope that'll be an encouragement to you tonight. I am back from a three-month sabbatical. This is my first. First day back. Can you believe that? How about that? First sabbatical in 38 years of ministry. Uh, so um, I rested so much I lost all my hair. But other than that, it's been a great time. Uh, we uh, are very, very grateful for our staff, our board, and feel very refreshed. Can't think of a better thing to do for these next few days than what we are going to share together. And so grateful for the priority the leadership has placed on prayer and the joy of learning to do it by doing it together. I often say that prayerlessness is my declaration of independence from God. That'll be on my tombstone someday, along with a hundred other things, but uh, prayerlessness is my declaration of independence from God, and uh, I understand that. Uh, I'm not a natural prayer guy. I say that all the time just to put you at ease. You thought, man, they're bringing some prayer dude in. That guy's going to walk up on the platform in a robe, swinging incense, glowing in the dark, dripping Shekinah juice everywhere, and uh, that's not me. I'm just a normal guy, fiercely independent by nature. I understand how easy it is to go on autopilot on a daily basis until we hit a crisis, right, a speed bump, then we'll call on the Lord. But the Lord wants it to be so much more than that, and we want to declare our dependence on God in these coming days. The reality is, though, when I mention prayer, when your pastor mentions prayer, you see the word prayer, in a crowd like this, a hundred different things come to mind. I think there's great confusion out there about what prayer really ought to be in our lives. Uh, for some of you, you just think boring, man. You know, that, that's a sleeper. Some of you, prayer is dull. Maybe it's weird. Uh, maybe it's something for those prayer warriors, but not for you and those people a little strange anyway. Uh, maybe if you have a Catholic background, you think of a rosary. Maybe you think of a big annual prayer event where you get a quiver in your liver and you're fixed for a year and go back to normal. But we want to really talk about what prayer is meant to be. I grew up with confusion. In fact, I grew up... Uh, really with kind of an aversion to prayer. I had a drug problem as a kid. I know that's an honest confession, not opioids or anything like that. But my parents drugged me to the old-fashioned midweek prayer meeting every week of my life. Now, a few of you have been to that, but if you haven't been to that, you've been to something like it. 
And as I reflect back on those experiences, one of my spiritual gifts, the gift of sarcasm, uh, which is mentioned in the book of 2 Daniel that I'm still working on, but uh, uh, I look back on those prayer meetings, and we'd gather about 7 o'clock, we'd sing a few stodgy songs that felt like sanctified versions of 99 bottles of beer on the wall. They just went on and on and on and on. And then some dude gave a devotion that he must have thrown together in his pickup truck, had nothing to do with prayer. And then came the dreaded question. You know the dreaded question, right? Does anybody have any... Oh, a few of you have been there before, right? Anybody have any prayer requests? So we pulled out our yellow pads, our blue big pens, and we were loaded for beer. And it went on, and it went on. A few minutes into it, a little gossip made its way in there. We found out that Deacon Bill had run off with Matilda, the organ player, and his son was a drug addict. His daughter had been pregnant five times. Her husband, you know, was, was a crook, and their dog had rabies, and we're just writing all this down. 45 minutes into it, I'm thinking everybody in the country either has an ingrown toenail, a slipped disc, a cousin in financial crisis, uh, a friend whose car's broken down. I'm so depressed now, I don't feel like praying. And then some genius looks at his watch. You know how this works. says, oh, we're almost out of time. We better pray. I think, well, there's an idea. This is false advertising. They call us a prayer meeting. So in the final moments, we would huddle up and with our list in front of us and engage in what I affectionately call the banal bless be with syndrome. Because as I'm listening in, if you ever take the words bless and be with out of what we're about to do, there's not much left to say. And you know the routine. The Lord bless him, bless her, bless this, bless that. Turn the page, be with him, be with her, be with that. Bless me, bless me. All right, we'll see you next week for prayer meeting. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm calling in sick and staying home and watching reruns of Hogan's Heroes or something because this thing is painful, right? Now, again, gift sarcasm. Thank God they were praying, right? They were not playing bingo or, you know, video games. They're trying but the reality is we tend to just do what we've always seen and done, whether it really aligns with the Bible or not, right? Uh, perhaps you heard the funny little anecdote of little Susie who was helping her mom in the kitchen all day long. They had company coming over. It was stressful. And finally, they all arrived, and mom spontaneously turned to little Susie and said, Susie, why don't you pray for the meal? And Susie was kind of shocked. She said, well, mom, I, I don't know what to say. She said, well, just say what you heard me say. So okay. So she bowed her head. Dear Lord. Why in the world did I invite all these people over for dinner tonight? In Jesus' name, amen, right? <laughs> now, as funny as that is, we do the same thing. We just repeat and imitate what we've seen and heard without asking ourselves, is this really gospel prayer? Is this New Testament experience? Is this the kind of thing that changes my life and can really align myself with the Word of God? And so to that end, I want us to look at Acts chapter 4. I want you to turn there, hold your place there. We're really going to set this up because I think it's essential not only for the message, but for the nights we're going to spend together. I want us to begin, uh, before we look at Acts 4, with what I call a clarifying definition of New Testament or gospel prayer. A clarifying definition of gospel prayer. Because honestly, friends, uh, in all our frustration with prayer sometimes, I think it comes down to this, our definition determines our destination. So if you did a man-on-the-street interview, the, the common definition of prayer is talking to God, right? And um, the problem with that, as Calvin Miller says, is that makes God one big ear and us one big mouth. It's just a one-way data dump to heaven hoping that it all works out. Others would say, well, it's telling God about my needs. That's a part of prayer. But again, that's more of a man-centered focus rather than, I think, a New Testament focus. Some would say, well, prayer is primarily intercession, and that's a good thing, uh, but it's a lot easier to pray about other people's needs than to be honest about your own, right? 
So let me give you a definition that I believe is so helpful given by another uh, seminary professor, but it is this. Intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. Say that with me. It's so important, all right? Intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. In one of my books, Transforming Prayer, I I studied the prayers of Jesus that we have in the scripture. I studied the prayers of Paul, the prayer requests of Paul. And I would tell you this in all honesty, I believe this definition best captures what they understood prayer to be. Intimacy with the Father that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. Now, that's a great destination, isn't it? But you got to start with the right definition. And many of you are frustrated, discouraged of prayer because maybe you've been operating off of the wrong definition. Then I want us to see what we call a, a delineation of gospel prayer, a description that was given by Jesus, again, that's going to set us up for Acts 4. Now, you all know the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, uh, Catholic friends call it the Our Father. Um, and, and you probably know that Jesus actually gave this prayer two times in the New Testament. One was in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, pray this way, and when you pray, do this. And then later on, in recorded in Luke 11, Jesus is praying. His disciples are with him, and they ask him again, Lord, teach us to pray. Had it been me, I said, you knew it's already taught you this once. Weren't you listening, taking notes? But patiently, he gave it to him again. Now, the words are not exact in both contexts. Luke 11 is a little bit of a Cliff Notes version of Matthew 6. But the components, the movements, the, the realities are the same which tells us that Jesus wasn't saying just repeat this prayer verbatim at some special occasion. He was wanting us to experience the meaning and the power and the principles of this prayer. Now, as we get ready to look at it, let me tell you something that I think is so important. When Jesus said pray this way or pray like this, in the original language, it's what we call a present imperative. Say, so, oh, that's nice. What's that mean? That means that you are always, present tense, supposed to pray like this. And it was not a suggestion, it was a command. Literally, Jesus is saying, you must learn to always pray like this. Now, over the years, because I think of our failure to understand the power of this prayer, we've created all kinds of options. Man, you Google prayer on Amazon, you've got every adjective in the world, you know, and I'm not picking on any in particular, but I mean, you've got prophetic prayer, soaking prayer, contemplative prayer, warfare prayer, you know, stand on your head prayer, glow in the dark prayer, whatever. And who am I to talk? I got a book called Transforming Prayer, okay? So I'm guilty as well. But the value of all of those really comes down to the degree to which they align with what we're about to see. Because if Jesus' present imperative said you always must pray like this, then we've got to figure this out, don't we? Now, I'm a really simple guy, and I can complicate things, but uh, when I would teach on this passage, you know, 10-week word study and fill in the blanks and all kinds of notes, uh, but in the simplest form, there are four movements to this prayer, and they all start with R because I went to seminary, and that's kind of the way it works, all right? Uh, but I think it'll make it helpful to you as a way to understand prayer as Jesus commanded us to do it. It starts with what I call reverence, and uh, that is kind of the upward focus. You know the prayer, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. A God who is intimate with us, who is ruling the universe, and who is holy in the beauty and wonder of his names and character, that's where we start our prayer. I like to say it this way. We, we start by seeking God's face before we seek his hand. Do you understand that? 
We seek, we start with, with who he is, not what our need is. Jesus said, start here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I, uh, you won't believe a young man like this, but I have three married children, 11 grandkids. Um, when my kids were young, uh, all they wanted what was, was what was in my hand, right? In fact, we were taking a family picture one day. I said, can we just take this picture with their hands in my pocket so it feels natural, right? Some of you get that? But now as they have grown up, they just want to be with me. Now the grandkids want what's in my hand, right? Part of our maturity is learning to seek God for who he is, not just what we think we need from him. Jesus said, start with reverence, that upward focus, and then move downward into response. Next part of the prayer is what? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, prayer and worship is the response of all I am to the revelation of all he is. So the next thing I do is I have to respond in alignment, surrender. We might call that confession as well. Anything that is not consistent with his will, his kingdom, I need to surrender and give to him and trade in my agenda for his, my prayer list for his, my will for his. Then I move to requests. Give us this day our daily bread, right? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I'm going to stutter on my R's as if you don't have enough of them already. But if you look at that explanation and expression of our basic needs, you see resource needs and relationship needs. Stay with me here. Daily bread, that's the stuff I need, isn't it? could be my car needs repair, I need money for college, uh, I need a new job, I'm going in for surgery. Those are all resource needs. But then there are relationship needs. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, that our relationships would be right, my marriage, my kids, my friends, that would be marked by forgiveness and grace and mercy. And you know, every list you have ever seen, a prayer request list, everything on that list is either, you got it, either a resource need or it is a relationship need. So Jesus said, start with worship, then move to a place of surrender and yieldedness to his kingdom and his will. Now trust him for your needs. It'd be great if you could pray all day, you know, be a, a gospel city monk, you know, wear your robe and glow in the dark, but you can't do that. You got to get off your knees and into battle. That's the last part of the prayer. I call it readiness. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from email. That's a new version, just see if you're listening, right? Some say, that's what I pray every day. Deliver us from evil. Here's the point. As John Piper often says, you cannot know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. And now, Lord, we're going into battle, and so let us be battle ready so don't get stuck in the temptations and all the evil of the day. And, and that's the balanced way of prayer. I call it upward, downward, inward, outward. Uh, kind of the symbolism is upward, downward, inward, outward. And in the next few nights, we're going to not make a big deal about it, but we're going to use that paradigm as we pray through Scripture, and I believe it will be particularly helpful to you. Let me say one more thing. The best way to do that is from the Word of God. How are you going to reverence God and worship Him? With an open Bible. How are you going to sense the conviction of His will and His purpose by the Word of God speaking to your heart? How are you going to trust Him for your needs? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. How are you going to get battle ready? You're going to say, I bind you, Satan, 20 times? Good luck with that. No. You hide the Word of God in your heart. You take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And by the way, that's what Jesus did when Satan came. What did he say? It is written, it is written, it is written, praying with an open Bible. 
quoting John Piper again, he's always stealing my material. I'm going to write him a letter and, and do something about that. But Piper says it this way, where the mind is not brimming with scripture, the heart is seldom brimming with prayer. George Mueller, who lived in England many years ago, had an amazing worldwide impact. He wrote in his autobiography, he said that, I, I used to pray with my my Bible closed, uh, not starting in the book, he said, and my mind would wonder when I prayed. How many of your minds ever wondered when you prayed? Anybody? Some of your minds wonder now. Just raise your hand, act like you're listening, all right? So, uh, yeah, we know how that works. He says, but when I started in the book, I was able to pray in extended fashion for amazing periods of time. And so Jesus tells us, pray like this. And the best way to do it is from his word. Now, here we go. We're moving into Acts 4, finally, but we will finish on time. If Jesus commanded the disciples to pray like this two different times, were they listening? I mean, they weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer, okay? So the question is, were they listening? What did they do? Now, we know that they prayed, all right? We know that those who watched and lived with Jesus heard him say these things. We know that they prayed, but do we know how they prayed? Acts chapter 4, verses 23 and following is the only description of actually how they prayed. And the big question is, were they listening and what can we learn from it? And so I want us to see this compelling demonstration of gospel prayer here in Acts chapter 4. Now what set this up, just very briefly, Peter and John in chapter 3 were going to the temple to pray. There was a lame man there begging for alms, silver and gold have I none, in the name of Jesus rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praying. Some of you know that song. This miracle happened. And Peter began to preach. And the number of men who became converted uh, grew to be 5,000. And the Jews were ticked off. And they arrest them. They interrogate him. They tell him to stop. We're going to shut this thing down. They're, they're going to lower the hammer. It's an intimidating moment. So what do you do? Well, we see what they did. Pick up in verse 23. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. All right? These threats. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. Now, I'm going to comment on that, but let me just exercise my, my gift of uh, sarcasm one more time here. If that had happened today, or in at least our framework of prayer, what would have happened is Peter shows up with John and said, dudes, man, they're busting our chops. I'm stressed out. This is a big deal. And so would you pray for me, for my anger? Because, you know, I whacked that dude's ear off not long ago, and I'm feeling it again. You know, I'm looking for another ear. And they, oh, yeah, let's write that down, Peter. And John would say, well, you know, I'm a little more tender. I have an anxiety issue, so they pray for that. Uh, Martha, who's pretty aggressive, say, pray for me. I need to find the best lawyer in town and sue their robes off, so they'd write that down. Mary would say, well, you know, I need to recruit some volunteers for protest signs. They'd write that down. You know Thomas, he raises his hand, so you know what he's going to say, right? I'm doubting again. Pray for me, right? Now, uh, in spite of my sarcasm, let me say this. Those were real needs. These are real people, by the way. They're not super saints. They're dealing with anxiety and anger and confusion and frustration. And yet we see what they did when they prayed. And I want you to see here that what it is is scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer. That too will be on my tombstone. But prayer fed by scripture, led by the spirit, starting with worship. And we're going to see why they did it this way based on what they had learned from Jesus Christ about how to pray. So they begin in united biblical worship in reverence. They, their voices are united together as a group in corporate prayer. And 
And I would just add that, that many times people ask, well, Daniel, which is more important, my personal prayer life or praying with others? My answer is yes. It's like asking which leg do you need to walk on more, your right leg or your left leg? But in Western culture, we have amputated our corporate prayer leg. That's why we need these next few nights. And we are lame on our private prayer leg, and the devil loves it so. They, they literally raise their voices together in a, a united concert of prayer. They pray together. And, and by the way, not to freak you out, but we might do a little of that next few nights. We might all pray out loud at the same time. And if you're shy, the good news is nobody's listening to you now except God, all right? And everybody else is praying. There's lots of ways to pray, but this is what they did. I live in Colorado, by the way, a place called Red Rocks near our house and amphitheater. We went to hear the Colorado Symphony Orchestra uh, a couple years ago. And you know how this works. They're all tuning up the woodwinds and brass and strings, percussion. And then the conductor comes out and everybody applauds. He takes a stand, raises his baton. Everyone is just captured in the moment. Can you imagine that if in that moment, instead of everybody playing off of the music they had in front of them, when he lowers his baton, they all decide to play whatever comes to their mind, anything from Bach to rock. I mean, it would be a mishmash, eclectic, confusing mess. People want their money back. You know what I'm saying? You say, what's the point of that? Well, you were going to see here, they're all praying off of the same sheet of music. Instead of what we often do, we just start talking about what's on our mind. And so what did they do? Look at it. They began in united biblical worship. In verse 24, when they heard it, they lift their voice together to God and said, first thing out of their mouth, look at it, would you under, under, underline it if I were you, sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, all of those words are extracted directly from various passages of Old Testament Scripture. They're not starting their prayer with their own stress and anxiety. They're starting by putting their eyes on Jesus, looking full in his wonderful face so that the things of earth can go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Sovereign Lord, you are in charge. You are in control. You are the creator of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. But not only that, you are a God who has revealed your truth because if you look at verse 25, now what do they do as they open this prayer meeting they read the scripture. They quote the scripture together. Who threw out of the mouth of your servant David said, why did the nations rage? Why did the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed? Scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer. They began by seeking his face. And let me just say this. If all we ever do is seek God's hand, we may miss his face. But if we seek his face, we will experience his hand. And they started with his face. Now, why did they start there? Well, you know the answer. Jesus told them to. And they did it. They obeyed. They experienced it together. They began by saying, Sovereign Lord, Creator, Revealer of Truth, quoting his word back to him. I want you to see what they did next, though. Uh, they start with this biblical united worship, and then they move to the reality of surrendering to his word and his will. If you look at... Verse 27 and 28, for truly, uh, it's kind of like, aha, oh, we understand now. In this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, and all the Gentiles and the people of Israel. In other words, they're saying, oh, now we understand what's happening in our lives. Your word is making sense of our situation, but notice this next line, to do whatever, this is an underliner as well, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. 
Can you hear the undertone of what they're saying? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They surrendered their hearts to this providence, the sovereign will of God, as challenging as their situation was. About a year and a half ago on a New Year's Eve, it was a Sunday morning, my wife received a call from her best friend, Michelle. Michelle said, Rosie, would you pray for us? She said, Zach has just been killed. Zach was their son-in-law who was leading an investigation of a guy who had barricaded himself, who was mentally ill. He began to shoot. Zach's body was filled with, I think, 14 rounds. He was killed in the moment as a Douglas County uh, Sheriff's officer. We immediately went over to the home of Zach and Gracie's wife. Gracie was off identifying his body. All the family was there, the two little girls who just lost their dad. Open Bibles, tears, quiet, speechless, shocked. And Michelle said, Daniel, would you, would you gather us in the den and pray for us? Well, you can have lots of seminary and still not know what do you do in a moment like this. So we gathered. And with tears coming down my cheek, I said, Lord, this is bad, but you're good. Lord, this is unfair, but, but you are just. This is out of control, but you are sovereign. And you are the father to the fatherless. You are the husband to the widow. And you give and take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. What else could we say, right? We just had to worship and surrender in that moment. The next week or so, Gracie's social media, the widow, always said, hashtag, blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. When we learn to pray in our crisis, in our struggle, we can get to the point of full surrender coming out of our worship. The beautiful redemption of all of that is a week later, they held a service for Zach. It was the largest funeral service in the state of Colorado. Uh, it was broadcast uh, live on all of the public channels. Uh, the governor was there, uh, and uh, my buddy Mike, who married them, gave the gospel, and it was perhaps the greatest demonstration of the gospel for decades in that state, because God is a redeemer, isn't he? We need to learn to pray, Father, we worship you, and your kingdom come, your will be done, your purposes be accomplished. Thirdly, I want you to see that they trusted him for their immediate needs. Look what they do now. As they move into prayer, they say, and now, Lord... Look at their threats. Consider their threats. See, now they've got a request. They didn't request anything yet. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. Uh, that is, is their resource need in the moment. Consider their threats literally means, Lord, look upon our need. Assure us of your presence. Assure us of your power. Show us what to do. Be with us, Lord. And, and then, Lord, we need boldness. We're not going to shrink back. We're going back into battle. So what we need right now, Lord, is your presence, your reassurance, your direction, and your boldness. That was their resource need. That was their daily bread in that moment. And then they had a relationship need. They had to go back and deal with these persecutors. So look at verse 30. And stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Henderson paraphrase. And now, Lord, as we relate to these guys, do what only you can do to let them see your power, to convince them of the gospel, and to bring them to know your glorious name. Wow. Now, why did they pray like that? You know the answer. Jesus told them to twice. And they understood it and practiced and experienced it. Finally, I want you to see, they went out in the power of the Spirit and the Word. 
This is their readiness. This is, is the outward reality. They overcame the realities of fear and anxiety and doubt and cowardice, confusion, fleshly reactions. And it says, after they had prayed, the place where they were together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went out and spoke the word of God with boldness. Wow. Gospel prayer that produced transformation and gospel impact just as Jesus had told them to do it. A couple final notes. Uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The building wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. It's one of my hobby horses these days. A lot of funny stuff out there about the Holy Spirit filling buildings and atmospheres. And uh, the Holy Spirit is not some amorphous force that we, we conjure in from the rafters, right? The Holy Spirit is the very person of the resurrected Christ who lives in us. Jesus didn't die to sanctify atmospheres. He died to sanctify hearts. And, and yet, and significant to this day, the text adds, he shook the building. And again, he, in a sense, used the building to reassure them that he was with them, just as a mighty rushing wind had come and cloven tongues of fire. He did something supernatural in shaking the building. He said, I'm with you. I'm considering these threats. I'm going to give you boldness. But Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be what? Controlled filled by the Spirit, and the Spirit took charge of their lives. And I guess in many ways that ought to be the goal of every prayer time, that we finish seeking Him by being controlled, not by our fears, our emotions, our thoughts, our doubts, but by the Holy Spirit. And they went out and spoke the Word of God with boldness. Jesus said, pray this way. Always pray this way. Upward, downward, inward, outward. Reverence, response, request, readiness. And the one account we have of how the early disciples practiced prayer together was the very alignment with what he had commanded. As we wrap up, uh, something very practical, because I think we see it in this text. Let me give you two words that I believe will realign the purpose and practice of prayer, and they are the words, so that. Would you say that with me? So that. In the original language, there's a word henna. Paul used to use it all the time. When he would write, he would say something, so that, so that, so that. Can you imagine if every time you had a prayer need before the Lord Jesus, he asked you, well, why? Uh, Lord, I'd like a, a, a better job. Well, why? Uh, Lord, I, I need help in my surgery. Why? Now, he's kind and gentle with us, doesn't do that, but here's the point. I think every prayer ought to be connected with so that. You've been in a prayer meeting, someone says, hey, pray for Uncle Charlie's cousin's friend who's in Topeka, Kansas, who lost their dog, but the car's broken down, and I just got a text, they couldn't find their keys, and their neighbors are mad at them, and they won't help, and you're sitting there trying to be, you know, understanding. Well, that's interesting, but man, that's out there, man. But what if we said so that? You know the so that, right? so that we might be transformed in the image of Jesus no matter what we're going through, so that we might be filled with the Spirit to accomplish His purpose. Whatever the practical need of my life, the so that is that He would be glorified. In my time of weakness, like Paul, I take it away, take it away, I got a thorn in the flesh, but so that I might rest in His grace so His power would be perfected in my weakness. You see, it's been said every failure is ultimately a prayer failure, and I think it's so beautiful that Jesus made it so clear, so simple, that the early church modeled it so beautifully. 
and that we're here today because they did. And now we get to be a part of the advancement of the greatest story the world has ever known, the greatest truth that can set people free, and the beautiful abiding that can make us like him. So let's make it our prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Would you pray with me? So Lord, thank you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the reminder that in spite of all that we have learned and done and all of our confusion and frustration of the past, that we can experience intimacy with you that leads to the fulfillment of your purposes. So Lord, let us always begin by seeking your face, your worthy, surrendering to your will and your kingdom, and complete confession and surrender. Help us trust you for our needs. And let us moment by moment go forth in the power of the Spirit and the Word to fulfill your mission in our lives for yours so that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we say together, amen.